Bible reading today comes from Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 to chapter 6, verse 12. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with teachings about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundations of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction in cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless, and it is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case, the things that have to do with salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end, so that what you hope for may be fully realised. We do not want you to become lazy, but to Im imitate those who, through faith and patience, inherit what has been promised. Uh, for those of you uh, who are just joining us this morning for the first time, we've been, we've been coming back uh, to the book of Hebrews throughout this year, um, and looking at how the book of Hebrews, how the author of Hebrews helps us see uh, that Jesus is better, better than anything that this world has to offer us. Um, and last time, as we were in Hebrews last week, uh, we looked at, at the great confidence that we can have in who Jesus is and who he is as our high priest, who he is as our king. Now, we have confidence to approach God uh, only through Jesus, the source of eternal salvation. That was our line to remember last week. Uh, without him, we, we have nothing, absolutely nothing. Uh, without him, uh, we looked at last week, we will perish along with the world around us. He's our only confidence, he's our only salvation. Um, as we've gone through Hebrews, as I said, we've been hearing about why Jesus is better than anything this world has to offer in the past or presently or, or in the future. Uh, in chapter 2, we read about uh, how Jesus has not only uh, dealt with our sin, the thing separating us from God and making us enemies uh, through his death on the cross, but, but he has brought us in as brothers and sisters, as children of God. When God looks at those who have believed in Jesus, he doesn't see a stranger or someone who needs to prove their worth to him. He sees sons and he sees daughters. And it's from this vantage point uh, this morning, as we keep thinking through what it looks like to respond to Jesus as children of God, as those who hold fast to Jesus in faith in a world that that tries to make us kind of drift from him, uh, that we come to this passage today. 
And the line to remember this morning is this, uh, as God's children, let's grow as our Father's children, paying attention to our Father's warnings and remembering our Father's promises in Christ. As God's children, let's grow as our Father's children, paying attention to our Father's warnings and remembering our Father's promises in Christ. If you have an outline in front of you, you'll see that the first point there says, around the dinner table. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, the author of Hebrews pauses in what he's been saying to the Christians he's been writing to. Uh, these are Christians with a Jewish background. Uh, he's, been, he's been writing about the significance of Jesus being their high priest. That's what we looked at again last week. But now he pauses and he says this. He says, we have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Now, there are a couple of images on display here, aren't there? And for a lot of us, like, I reckon that there's a book or something on the bedside table that you might read before, before you go to sleep, right? Maybe it's a nice crime novel or a history book. Maybe it's a battered old copy of Lord of the Rings. I don't know if anyone else is like that. Um, but, but just imagine with me, you, you come over to my place and you look at my bedside table and imagine you just saw that I was reading this book. It's going to pop up on the screen. Imagine you, my first ABC book, I'm still reading it. Like, it'd be pretty weird, wouldn't it, if you came over and there's, there's Jack's favourite book that he reads, kind of ABCs. That's kind of odd. But the other image on display that, uh, that Pierre Baguette kind of helped us understand is to do with milk and solid food. Right? Imagine you go out to dinner, imagine you go out to lunch uh, with a group of friends after church today and you, you order lunch, let's say like a delicious chicken schnitzel, the food comes out, um, but then you realise something. Right? You, you realise that you're the only one who's asked for food and you look around the table and something really weird happens, like you're kind of eating your schnitzel or your steak and, and everyone else around you um, is getting out a baby bottle filled with milk and they just start chugging away, right? That's what they do. Like you with your schnitzel, your friends with their milk bottles. And it's kind of embarrassing, right? These pictures. But, but this is what the author of Hebrews is saying to the Christians he's writing to. He's saying they are stuck on their ABCs, stuck on baby's milk. They aren't growing as God's kids. They should be at a point uh, when they're at the dinner table, not only eating a nice, tasty schnitzel or steak, but actually at the point where they can cut up pieces of steak for the toddler next to them who's still learning how to eat solid food and what to do there. But they're not growing as children of God. They should be at the point when they're not the ones reading the ABC book to learn their ABCs, but, but reading it to other people to help them understand it. But they're not growing, even though they're, they're perfectly capable of growing and should be growing as God's kids. And there's a reason for it that we read. There's a reason that they no longer... Um, oh, this is the reason, that they no longer try to understand. That's what we read in chapter 5, verse 11. They no longer try to understand. Then in chapter 6, verse 12, which was at the end of our reading this morning, we read this. We do not want you to become lazy. See, so they're no longer trying to, to understand what has been taught to them about, about who Jesus is. Uh, they're becoming lazy. They're not growing as God's children. Another, another way to think about it is like this. Imagine you're at the start of the Christian life. Imagine the start of the Christian life is like being at the beginning of a race. If you kind of ready, set, go, the gun goes off and you cross that start line. But then a couple of steps in, uh, for some reason, you just decide to lie down and have a nap. Right? The kind of imagery deployed later in Hebrews and actually 
that comes up throughout the, uh, the, the New Testament a couple of times, describes the, the Christian life as a race to be run, as a race to be finished. The call uh, being to persevere to the very end of that race. And it seems like the author of Hebrews is concerned uh, for the Christians he's writing to, because even though they started well, we read that a bit later on in the passage, even though they started really well, they're no longer running. Now, they're no longer growing. Uh, they've become lazy. Right? They're still on milk, not on solids. Now, the author of Hebrews has at several points, as we've read through, urged his readers to persevere in their faith, hasn't he? To persevere in trusting in and following Jesus. And in chapter 2, verse 1, uh, we read, We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. In chapter 3, verse 14, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. In 4, verse 1, Since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. In chapter 4, verse 14, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who's ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Right, there's this constant call to, to, to keep going, to keep persevering, to keep paying attention to Jesus, to not grow lazy in your relationship with God, uh, to not treat him as just a casual friendship where every now and again you might check in. But as your God, at the center point of your life, the one you need more than anything, and the author of Hebrews is trying to get them to understand that it's like they've started the race, but they're napping just over the start line. And they need to get up. They need to keep growing and maturing as followers of Jesus, as children of God. In chapter 6, verse 1 to 2 that we read this morning, the author says, Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, uh, think about kind of baptism, the, the laying on of hands, which could be something like uh, confirmation, uh, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. It's really important to understand that the author isn't saying, leave these truths behind. Right? Christians know the need to constantly turn to God in repentance when we mess up. We need to constantly remember that death is not the end, uh, that we will be raised, that we will all stand before God. And it's not that the author wants them to forget these things and move on. It's not what he's saying. He wants them to build on these things. Lives that are characterized by their faith in God. Lives where chapter 5 verse 14, uh, they grow in their understanding about how to actually live rightly before God. To distinguish between good and evil. To be able to apply the elementary truths in their lives. In other words, to apply their ABCs. So that they continue growing as a child of God and not a child of a fallen and broken world. They started really well when they started the race, but something has happened. The kind of question for us is what, what has happened to these, to these Christians? What, what's going on here? Well, elsewhere in Hebrews, we read that it's, it's likely to do with uh, different pressures that they're under and the squeeze of life, the pressures of persecution of social exclusion and then being tempted to think that it just isn't worth it to follow Jesus. They've felt the squeeze of life and it's made them just pump the brakes in their relationship with Jesus uh, when they really needed to just stomp on the gas. No longer are they seeking understanding from the one through whom, uh, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1, God has spoken to them. They're ignoring him. 
It's a bit, little bit different for us today. I think it's likely that, that we, it's unlikely that we feel those, those particular kind of difficulties of persecution, uh, but we do feel the squeeze, don't we, of life and, and, and lots of other pressures. Um, but instead, I think there are, there are things for us that might cause us as Christians to cease pursuing understanding, that might cause us as Christians to become lazy. Um, I don't know about you, but I reckon it's, it's kind of easy to box up life into different categories sometimes. I don't know if this is you, but, but it can feel like God kind of sits in, in one box at the end here, um, but then there's, like, there's, there's work here, and there's, there's family and children and friends and planning for the future and health, right? all these things, and they're all neatly stacked in a row. Uh, and you feel like you've kind of ticked the God box. You say, yep, I, I know actually that I need to trust in Jesus, and I do, I get it, I need Him. But now that that feels dealt with, uh, you're kind of happy with the bare minimum of knowing Him. Uh, you're happy to treat Him more like that casual friend than God, than your Lord. Uh, because, like, let's be honest, life is busy, life is really hectic, and there's just not enough time. All these other boxes do call for our attention, and they do need our attention. Maybe that's you. Maybe it's a bit different. Uh, maybe you're at a stage of life right now where you feel kind of stuck. You feel like you're going through the motions of everyday life and you're kind of just struggling to feel excited about getting to know more about Jesus than you used to be. Uh, struggling to get motivated to invest the time uh, in reading and in talking to people about your faith, those things that you used to do. Uh, and getting to um, like maybe midweek Bible study groups and getting to church on a Sunday, it's just getting harder. You're at a stage of life where you're thinking, how, how did I get here so quickly? Like, Where did that time go? How do I get that joy back? How do I get that energy back? How do I make the most of this time now that I'm here? But maybe it's different again and, and you're thinking, is what's on offer in Jesus really better than what else is on offer? I mean, if a lot of those Christians back then was to be persecuted for following Jesus, uh, do I really want to do the same when society around me kind of thinks that Christians are loopy and out of touch with the times? Maybe you've actually started paying more attention to learning about those things rather than learning about Jesus. Maybe, maybe that's kind of where you're at. Maybe you're at, uh, in a place right now where, where you're falling asleep in the race. Uh, well, Hebrews helps us open our eyes. The author in, in verses 4 to 8 uh, really provides the wake-up call for those who are napping in the race. And actually after that, he provides a really great and welcome shot in the arm for all of us. Uh, point two uh, in your outlines, a dire warning. Uh, we, we read some confronting verses in Hebrews chapter 4 to 6, didn't we? Um, we read, it is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again. And this, this idea, it's meant to jog our memories back to the Israelites in chapter 3 and 4 in the wilderness. Like those who experienced God firsthand, yet still somehow were not able to enter His rest because they didn't listen to His Word. And these verses hit in different ways for different people. But, but what I want to say, it is a jolt awake that, that we all need to hear. It is a warning that we need to take seriously. Right? As children of God, we need to take our Father's warning seriously. Have you ever been in the passenger seat of a car or a bus and just been kind of drifting asleep and then suddenly get that sensation of falling and just kind of jolt awake really suddenly? Uh, this is what those verses are doing to us. 
But I think the key to coming to some sort of understanding about what the author intends in these verses actually comes out in verses 7 to 8. They're confusing and kind of confronting verses to wrap our heads around, aren't they? In verses 7 to 8, we read of two different types of soil, don't we? Uh, Two different types of soil that respond to rain in different ways. We read that land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. Uh, This kind of language about how we respond to the gospel, to the word of God, how we respond to Jesus, it's pretty common throughout the Bible, isn't it? Old Testament and New Testament. Um, Jesus himself uses a parable in Mark's gospel to describe different responses people have to God's word, his different soil. Here it's a similar thing. The the author of Hebrews is, is seeing that this particular group of Christians have become lazy in the way they pay attention to God and what he's revealed in his son, And he wants them to assess themselves what what kind of soil they are. They say they've trusted in Jesus, but is that evident in their actions and in their lives? There's that phrase, uh, by their fruit you will know them. I want you to picture something with me. Uh, Just imagine a group of people that have been been walking through a desert for two days. They've been walking through a scorching hot desert for two days without water. All they have Right, it's a strange picture, kind of weird. All they have are umbrellas for some reason. You don't know why. They have umbrellas. They're walking through the desert for two days and they're so thirsty. Right? You can kind of feel it. They're so in need of water and of rain. Now imagine it does start to rain. The rain starts coming down. And then some in the group, they just, they're so excited. They throw down their umbrellas on the ground. They're weeping for joy, jumping up and down, trying to get as much of that rain as possible because it's what they need. And they know it's what they need. But then just imagine there are other people in that group who are walking around and they're kind of enjoying what is happening. Right? They're walking around. They actually get their feet a little bit wet. Actually kind of, they, they, they hold out their arm. They poke out their arm to kind of check out this rain. Uh, But for some reason, and you don't know why, they put their umbrellas up and they're not letting that rain hit them. They're not holding up their mouths to drink that in, to take in what they're really needing, even though they're in that group. They're rejecting the rain, only their feet get wet. Uh, What will happen? The ones who drink that rain, who are nourished by it, uh, well, they will continue on, on. The ones who reject it, who don't drink deeply of it, Uh, Well, they won't. They'll get to a point where it's too late. They've rejected that rain for for however long it's been offered to them. They don't want it and they perish. We take that back to our passage. They they never really respond to the grace of God that is in Jesus the way they're meant to. In faith, saying, I need you. I am going to drink. And so they bear the consequences of that. And there's a really obvious question that comes up when we read these verses, isn't it? Uh, and it's this one. It it's kind of makes us go, is this me? It's a dire warning. It makes us ask other questions about assurance, right, of salvation. What about my assurance of salvation? How am I meant to think about that? Well, first, I just want to point our attention to, to another part of Hebrews. If you've got your Bible open in front of you, just turn to, to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. 
There's a part of Hebrews that identifies further what it means that Jesus is our great high priest. It's, it's actually where the author is taking his readers and taking us after pausing here to tell us that we need to mature in Christ. It's Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, and we read this. In light of Jesus being our great high priest, we read, Therefore, he is able to save completely, completely, those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. He's able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. If you have turned to Christ in repentance for forgiveness of sin and faith, you are saved completely. You can't be saved completely and incompletely at the same time. It's not not how it works. And remember, it's not what we can do that makes this possible, it never has been, but it's the finished work of Jesus on the cross on our behalf. So, can you be sure of your salvation? Uh, Yes, if you have turned to Christ in repentance and faith. Now, these verses are quite tricky and there are lots of different positions about how we're meant to actually interpret them and how they do inform the way that we think about assurance of salvation. And I just want to be open with you. They've caused me some confusion and a bit of discomfort in the lead up to this morning because they're quite unsettling verses, aren't they? They do hit quite hard. I just want to say that I I could be wrong in my understanding of what's going on here. I just want to say that up front. So do dig into it for yourselves. But But what I think the author of Hebrews is doing here is forcing us to ask the question, am I really a Christian? He's not asking, is the person next to you a Christian? Um, He's asking them the same question he's asking you. He's saying, are you really a Christian? That's the question we ask of ourselves. See, if one of the problems for the Christians then was that they were sliding back into living in a way that is indistinguishable from those around them and indistinguishable from the world, well, the question of assurance becomes pretty nuanced because, because then we're asking the question, then can someone who is living in a way that is indistinguishable from the world, meaning living in rejection of God, can they have assurance of salvation? Right? I think that answer kind of becomes a bit different. Um, Don Carson has helpfully uh, or has been helpful in kind of forming this view, so go go check out what he has to say. Uh, but he makes the point that, that the answer becomes different because Scripture is actually abounding in assurance. Right? It just drips with assurance for the person who's striving after Christ. It's just there. It's there constantly. We've already looked at one of those in Hebrews 7 verse 25. Um, but it isn't for the person who lives as though Jesus isn't there. Uh, now, this, this person isn't someone who is struggling and stumbling along and who gets it really wrong every now and again. Right? That's kind of all of us, right? Who gives into sin and then keeps fighting sin and comes back to Jesus asking for help, repenting. No, this is someone who's accepting sin and ignoring Jesus constantly so that this is actually the norm for their lives. They're accepting sin, they're just ignoring Jesus constantly and that's just, just the normal part of their lives, just how they live. See, at that point, they're really going to struggle to find assurance in Scripture of salvation. Actually, they probably won't find it. But they will find a father's warning. At that point, they'll read a verse like this one and ask themselves the question, am I really a Christian? And if the answer is yes, they will repent of that way of life. But if not, well, (laughs) God have mercy on them. It's really hard-hitting. Now, these verses are there to make us 
uh, self-reflect, to reflect in ourselves, to, to not reflect on the person next to us, okay? It's, but it's hard, isn't it, for those of us who have loved ones uh, who we know who have drifted. And, and there's just great grief uh, and great uncertainty and anguish for those we love who we're just unsure about where they currently stand with God and where they will stand. I just want to say these verses are not saying that if someone was brought up in church and was even baptised but is currently not following Jesus, uh, that that is the end of the road for them. These verses don't encourage us to stop trying. And they especially don't stop us from praying to the one who has worked in our hearts that he might work in theirs to bring them to repentance and faith in Jesus. Because if there's one thing that's highlighted in these verses, it's just dependence on God. In verse 3... The author of Hebrews kind of draws himself into what he's saying about maturity. And he says, God permitting, we will do so. See, we're not growing without God. And we see it in verse 6 in what Jesus has done for us on the cross once for all. See, we're only safe in Jesus. So keep praying, keep trusting in the God who is the God of perfect justice and also the God of mercy and grace, the God that we ourselves need. God who provides a great hope that the author then points our attention to and points his reader's attention to. A great hope that we can cling to. Point three, the hope we have. So we've heard the call to to keep growing and to keep maturing as God's children, to not slide backwards. And we've heard that we are children who grow by listening to our Father, by listening to his warnings, but also listening to his promises. See, the other soil that is talked about in verses 7 to 8 is the good soil, isn't it? It's the person who's throwing down that umbrella, who's feeling that rain, who's just drinking deeply of it and rejoicing in it. And the author is really quick to tell his readers, isn't he, that that they aren't the soil of verse 4 to 6. He says in verse 9, Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case. The things that have to do with salvation. See, verse 10 highlights the fruit not the thorns and thistles that have been seen in their lives. They've shown love to God, love to his people who've been struggling, whether from persecution or sickness or poverty. They have lived out what they say they are, children of God, not children of the world. But they're becoming lazy, falling asleep in that. And he says to them in verse 11 to 12, we want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end, so that what you hope for may be fully realised. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. See, what is this hope that they want to be realised? It's that final fulfilment of all those promises that God has made to his children in Christ. All those promises that we get to read of throughout Hebrews, throughout Scripture. Life eternal in God's kingdom. The author author points their attention to those who have gone before them, who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. And he says, imitate them. They're going to give an example of what this looks like in verses 13 to 20. And we're going to dig into that next week. He uses Abraham as one example of this. But then later on in chapter 11, he uses even more examples. All these people who have gone before us, before his readers, people who have been faithful to the end who were faithful inheritors of the promises of God and who were there on the sidelines saying, wake up, keep going, keep persevering, keep trusting in Jesus, fix your eyes on him. 
This passage wakes us up, it jolts us, but it ultimately doesn't jolt us to look with fear at the life ahead and to look with fear at the struggles that may arise, to feel dread or hopelessness in this life. Uh, It wakes us up and it fixes our kind of blurry eyes on the promises of God fulfilled in Jesus. And with further clarity, as as our eyes kind of clear, as we rub them, as we keep waking up, get the sleep out of our eyes... We'll just keep seeing it more and more and more. This passage says to us this morning, Beloved child of God, keep going. Persevere. Grow up in your faith. And do it by listening to your God who has spoken to you through His Son, Jesus. I want to say it's not a call to, to, to intellectualism. It's not what this is, this is saying. I want to say that. Uh, We need to be pushed in our understanding of how the gospel changes and shapes our lives. Um, But it's really really amazing, isn't it? It's actually incredible uh, that the same gospel that is simple enough for a child to grasp and understand is the same gospel that is deep enough for us to drink of and be nourished by and transformed by for the rest of our lives. Isn't that amazing? From childhood to eternity. So as a a child of God who seeks to grow by paying attention to our Father's warnings and promises, who wants to swim in that good news of the gospel and eat solid food, how will you grow this week as someone who loves the world a little bit less and loves God a little bit more? As someone who is seeking to listen to God's word in your life? The kind of one of the obvious ways, and it's, the, it's kind of a Sunday school answer, is just, just keep digging into God's Word, keep reading. But maybe that's something that you, you find kind of hard to know how to do. It can feel like quite a big thing coming to a book made up of many, many other books, written by many, many people. Uh, it can be a hard book to wrap our heads around. Um, at the start of the year, Carl gave the staff this book here. Uh, it's called Savoring Scripture by a guy called Andrew Abernathy. And it's a book that, that actually helps you um, read the Bible. It actually helps motivate you and get you kind of excited to, to read the Bible and to dig into God's Word. At least that's how I felt as I was reading it. Um, I found it really helpful in slowing down my own quiet times and reading. It's just kind of bite-sized chunks. Uh, I do recommend it to people, uh, to anyone who's keen to, to have help in reading their Bible during the week for themselves. It's called Savoring Scripture by Andrew Abernathy. Um, someone's very welcome to come up and borrow my coffee. Uh, another book that I read recently that I found really helpful in this and, and, and thinking through how, how I keep growing and uh, digging into God's Word and responding to Him, um, a book that I found really helpful was this book. Uh, it's a really small, bite, bite-sized book. It's called Brave by Faith by a guy called Alistair Begg. And in it, he takes you through the book of Daniel and provides some insight into how the book of Daniel helps us live by faith in a God who is sovereign above all things. He applies it to lots of areas of life, uh, including the workplace as well, Uh, but it really does help lift our eyes to the magnitude of God in in just a really helpful way. A way that helps you persevere. But if if reading a book like that isn't really a thing that gets you excited... um, What about meeting up with other Christians to discuss what you're reading in the Bible or to read the Bible with them? I get to do this with a few people and it's one fantastic way during the week to have your eyes, to have your heart pointed 
toward the promises of God, as you read His Word with a brother or sister, as you pray together, and as you just remind each other of God's promises. As you, as you remind each other that, yes, these promises are worth persevering for and in. Maybe it's time to get back into a community group. I know in Term 3, we'll be looking through these great studies in Exodus together as a church. And the staff team went through a bunch of these together already a few weeks ago. Uh, we had our eyes lifted to a God that is really in control, even though the world around us kind of looks like chaos. Our eyes lifted to a God who promises deliverance and doesn't just promise deliverance, but who does deliver. But maybe the response from you this week is to recognise that there is sin in your life that you are feeling really stuck in. That has caused you to become stuck in the mud as you try to follow Jesus. And not just recognise it, but do something about it. Just let the gospel wash over you this week as you take steps away from that sin, whatever that looks like, and toward Jesus in repentance and faith. And remember the assurance in Hebrews of who Jesus is as your great high priest. One who calls us to flee to him in weakness and brokenness and who is gentle. Who has died for you so that you can have forgiveness. Who offers you so much more than this world ever can. How will you turn from sin this week to listen to his voice? If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, remember. That might mean a tough conversation and asking someone for help. That's a great thing to do. But it needs to involve turning to God in dependence and prayer. In Hebrews 6 verse 3, I've already said it becomes really obvious that if we are to grow as God's children, if we are to be able to pay attention to his warnings, if we're to keep listening properly to his promises, not just with our ears but with our hearts, uh, then we really need God's help. And the author of Hebrews says, God permitting, we will do so. So let me lead us in prayer to God now, asking him that he would help us grow as his children, that we would pay attention to his warnings, that we would listen to and flee to his great promises. Let's pray. <clears throat> Our gracious Heavenly Father, we praise you that you are a God that speaks, that you're not distant from us, that you have spoken to us through your Son, Jesus. Lord, thank you that you're a God who loves us so much, that even though we were living lives in rejection of you, hating you, Lord, you sent your Son into this world to die on the cross, that we might have forgiveness of sin. Thank you so much that those who trust in Jesus can call themselves your child, fellow inheritors in the kingdom of God and the promises you have made in Christ. And Lord, we pray that as your children, that we would listen to your warnings. And as your children, we would listen to your promises. As your children, we would seek to live lives in obedience to you, all for your glory. Amen.